Happy Thanksgiving. In this episode, Ryan and I discuss the relationship between premium and income and what that means when implementing the infinite banking concept. We had fun. Hope you enjoy. Thank you. Welcome to the Bank of Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. Deep underground, undisclosed location, 20 miles south of Fort Worth, Texas and Alvarado. We're springing forth the idea that you can become your own banker um, in accordance with Nelson Nash. God rest his soul. So, Happy recent Thanksgiving. Yes, happy Thanksgiving. That, that was yesterday. I'm full, right? You're right. always full. <laughs> <laughs> You're the one that's always eating. It's like, look, go back and listen to all the episodes. I'm ready to go eat. I'm hungry. Like, and it's like, you know. That's what happens when you have access to Texas barbecue. Right. Or goat lock. Eat all, everything but the good stuff first. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what are we talking about today, Mr. Griggs? Things we're thankful for? Yes, and in fact, I am thankful for this. So there is a um, a phenomenon recently. You know, we like to address things that come up f- with greater frequency with our with clients and new clients uh, on the show, so that other people can you know benefit from those interactions as well. And something that I'm noticing happening. So, so when I when this individual wants to become a client with my office, just like with yours, there's an initial process. Right. You have a process. Take you certain. have a process. There is a process, and it involves scheduled calls. You know, and uh, yeah, so there's a whole process. You know, an initial. I mean, I can't just call you and say, "Hey, I want to buy this yeah, much or that don't. much." There and, are, and he doesn't. You know, they don't watch uh, the show. So the representatives from the life insurance companies, I just want to call up whenever and like have a chat. They like, recruit you. Like, by the way, you're not my customer, so. My schedule is not here to fit according to yours. Well, I have a you question. Know? So I'm They've going got to... so many questions, and there are now so many episodes that they can benefit from watching. You mean I can go online and listen to 100 hours of legitimate infinite banking concept discussion? Yeah. And, and 5,000 hours that are not legitimate. You know, they ask me, they <laughs> go, is there anything here. I can do for you? Like, what would be... I, I want so badly to tell them the truth to that question. Are you talking about <laughs> the insurance company? Yes. Representatives? Yes. I'm like, there absolutely is something you can do, and I've told it to you before. There's a book you can read, and there's a podcast you what? can watch. And then we'll be right up to speed with one another. Well, I like the ones that... Uh, and listen, I'm not beating up anybody individually. The industry in particular, though, uh, you're fair game. Yeah. Okay. The life insurance, um, home office, regional staff, office, representatives, staff, representatives yeah. yeah, that want to recruit you, and then they're going to talk about the infinite banking concept like they're, and not that they don't know anything. I mean, so, you know, it's greater than zero, right? Um, but there's a way of connecting, you know, let's talk about the infinite banking concept, and understand that's where you operate, and then start throwing these things around and I'm just like listening and paying attention paying attention and I'm feeding it back to them with questions and it's like then they quit asking all the questions you know at the end of the day (laughs) if you're a life insurance company and I tell them all I'm not promoting you I'm not promoting you and you or you or you I may pay substantial premium and I do right with the companies that we embrace and promote on an individual basis are used to solve the banking equation for someone who wants to become their own banker. But that does not mean I'm going to promote a life insurance company. And neither will you. Um, you get a lot of questions like, James, what are, what are the, who are the big the right four? Company. What's the five? What's the top 10 companies? And blah, 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 blah. No. Yeah, that's just, it's, it's marketing. It's unpaid marketing for the life insurance companies. And I already do enough work that's unpaid. You know, I'm an unpaid tax collector, and I'm tired of it, right? I and as, books it, and as it turns <laughs> out, the, the clients are the ones willing to learn. No question. And so I'd much rather talk to them. Well, maybe you need a, a new sales idea. Oh. From there. <laughs> <laughs> Shudder. All right, what I'm thankful for, what I'm thankful for is when I do get to talk to clients, which is often, uh, and what and part of that new process that uh, becoming a new client, you know, I ask initially based on 
the research you've done, the reading you've done, the listening and watching you've done, how much premium do you think might be appropriate for you? And it's not set in stone. You know, we're just getting started. We're starting to think numerically in terms of that person's <coughs> situation. But what I see happen uh, more and more often is that where people think might be the appropriate place to start very quickly transforms into a higher number. And Oh my goodness. And there's uh, some caveats to say up front, right? This is not about, you know, you should not get the idea that you got to make such and such amount of money per year in order to qualify or be eligible for the infinite banking concept. This is not about the absolute level of your income, right? This is where you're at, where somebody is starting and how much of the available financial resources, given their circumstances, they're willing to consider for the purposes of accumulating capital and dividend paying whole life, right? That's the question. And so what I'm noticing is that, and what I'm observing here and pointing out here is that we see a, a evolution in people's thinking. And it doesn't always happen, right? Somebody might do, might have a, a very, precise idea of the kind of premium they've, or the kind of money, the kind of financial resources they have available to pay premium. And that may not change, right? So I'm not saying it's necessary. Um, I'm just saying it does happen a lot. And in one particular case, uh, you know, the, I talk in terms of percentages of income, right? So as a percentage of income, we started out around 5% of the individual's available annual gross income. 5% use that to pay premium. Well, that number jumped up closer to 25% by the time. What? Yeah. By the time all was said and done, we got into an application. How long was that timeline of all that said and done? I mean, uh, just as from, from the time we first started talking to when he got into an application was two weeks. So in two weeks, you go from 5 to 25% of gross. Listen, you have a few phone calls with me. I'm just and saying. Things are going to change. <laughs> uh -oh. No, I mean, I mean, it's. The, if you know what's going on, you'll know what to do. Sure. That's, uh, that's what it's all about. And the, the reason I bring this up is because I feel like a lot of times there is still, even for people who have done a lot of research up front, there is, the, the frame isn't exactly perfectly set. And what I mean by that is we, there's, we still don't have a, a perfect understanding of how the premium and dividend paying whole life works in terms of the required minimum obligations and the flexibility on the other hand, right? And that's part of the process when someone is approaching me to get a new policy that we're talking through that. And if you know what's going on, you'll know what to do. The whole point is to just clarify what's going on, Clar properly classify, right? Clarify why or the way in which premiums work, the way base premium works, the way PUA premium works, which one's required, which one's not, which one has to be paid on a scheduled basis, why we work with companies that allow a lot of freedom to leave a majority of the premium unscheduled so it can be paid at the client's discretion throughout the year when the funds are available. What? Yeah. So once we start to nail those things down, and again, a lot of that is individual specific, right? So their need for capital, how much uh, cash value relative to their premium, uh, I'm sorry, reverse that, how much illiquidity they're comfortable with early on, right? It's a question of how much, uh, of how long they, they're willing to look out into the future, in other Listen, words. illiquidity, I want, whatever I put in, I want a greater number mm -hmm. tomorrow. Yeah. So it's a, it's a question of that, their, their comfort level with illiquidity, which is a function of their understanding of the concept, right? Yep. The better you understand what happens in the long term, the more comfortable you'll be with illiquidity up front. So once we take account of that, we take account of the available financial resources, then we can have a discussion about the structure of that particular policy for that particular person and why we choose the companies we choose in order to place that business, right? In order to get that contract, right? Uh, and you know, other things that are never talked about. Right? The, the, big, the, the big major marketing <coughs> names are parroted around in, in order to associate themselves with a, a perceived position of authority, right? Because you see these companies online, they're really historic, and if you're with them, then you must be authoritative just like they are, right? There's never a question or never a discussion of the functionality or the characteristics or the qualities of the particular contracts and the qualities of the particular features of those contracts, namely the PUA rider right? and the, the recognition treatment and the policy loans. 
there's never it doesn't start there right it start it starts top down here's the name of the company that you ought to work with oh, right yeah. because of course and these so happen to be the features rather than starting from a philosophy specifying and articulating why we're doing what we're doing and then aligning that to the best of what the industry offers in terms of the product features and letting that sort out the correct company right so anyway we have that conversation and in doing uh, that how, how many conversations are you having in these two <laughs> I mean, i'm just wondering with uh, this gentleman george by the way george watches um thanks for listening george yeah it was we had we yeah we had two calls and then yet yeah, reviewed the contract and then went to the or went to the application well, i know that you know we we talk regularly and you know, a week or so ago, <laughs> he were and and he has a new dog. Okay, he has a new little Great Dane, Lucy, wonderful little dog. That uh, so he's a dog dad, right? And he's um, taking good care of Lucy, and it and it requires a substantial amount of time, mm-hmm. right? And <laughs> uh, we spoke a couple of weeks ago, and I think he even had a maybe a photo on Facebook. You know how uh, your jaw has had hurt. Your jaw was hurting from being on oh, the I felt phone. Like I had talked my face off all day long. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in some of these marathon conversations, apparently, or a multiple of them. Yeah. And that, yeah. that particular occasion, I spent way too much time with somebody who wasn't really interested in learning. Which you know, my fault. But there is a lot of that. Okay, so uh, that is all very well said too. And I must say that that's. Most of the time, I don't care how much research you've done, you know, and the more you do, the better off you are, mm-hmm. right? There's still things you don't know, yeah. right? So when you engage, um, when you reach out to my office, his office, and you go, there's, a, there's additional learning or understanding that you're going to be exposed to. Additional learning, your understanding is going to increase, and really your understanding is going to increase from now on forever. You should never cease learning. Um, but having... I'm just saying that people really don't know when we talk about lack of liquidity or ill liquidity in the in the early years, you know, mm-hmm. compared to being 100% liquid from the marketing, you know, click funnels out there, um, you think that because you may think that because there's a lack of liquidity, it's going to be terrible, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I must say, it's been my experience the whole 16 years that I've been exposed to the infinite banking concept. We all start too small. And it's okay. We all start too small. Why? The mind cannot foresee its own advance. You don't know what you don't know. And the more you know, the more you know that you don't know. Yeah. Right? So, my point is, we all start too small. I did. And, you know, it's very easy. I did. To overbuild a policy, you know, because of the... The excitement and the magical, you know, opportunities. And it's also very easy to underbuild a policy. You know, building a policy so small because your mind's not expanding or because you don't know what you don't know. Um, and then you're, you're continually having to buy other or multiple policies. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But as a matter of path, as a matter of foundational um, application, you should not start with the idea that I'm going to buy a policy every four years or every five years or every 10 years or every seven years or whatever. Mm-hmm. All right. And it is difficult or can be difficult um, to build the exact right policy if you don't know what you're doing. But if you do know what you're doing and you are willing to learn and you're working with someone who's educated, it's pretty easy to build you know, the correct size. Even then, you're typically going to start too small, okay? And, and I'm saying that to say this, that it's a wonderful thing whenever you do your research, you're like, oh my gosh, you vetted it with however you vet decisions for you and your family, and you decide that, yes, I want to become my own banker, and I'm going to start, and I'm going to be bold, and then it's better than you thought, mm. and it is then it's easy to expand. Yeah. Um, you were telling me earlier, have, you've had peop, uh, several people recently where that's been happening. The last two and, weeks. Yeah. It's been, and it's okay uh, to not overbuild and not underbuild. You know, I mean, but 
whenever you start, whenever I started, whenever you first started, too small, even though it was bold. Yeah. Right? And then it's like, oh, my gosh, no, it really is easier, or it really is better than I thought. It's it's easy to expand. Right. And then, you know, things happen. We always, not always, but we typically, you know, it's we're surrounded. As like Jim Rohn said, negative is normal. Mm. You know, we're surrounded in negativity. Mm. We're surrounded in noise. And, and okay, and that is true. I agree with that. And I try to point it out. And I'm on the, you know, I try to pay attention. But, you know, good things happen, too. Good yeah. things happen. And yeah. good things are going to happen. And you don't know how good they are. And you don't know when. The future is unknown. So, um, it's hard to see. And you can go back at your age now. Go back 10 years. Did you ever, in your wildest imagination, believe or know or have any inkling that you'd be doing what you're doing right now? No. No. Most men that I talk to in their 20s, they don't think they're going to live in the, to their 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. And then they do. And then all of those numbers all of a sudden magically matter. Your A1C levels, mm. your cholesterol, your waist size, you know. Um, and almost to the person, they didn't think they would be doing as well as they're doing. Mm. So I'm just saying negative is normal. It's okay to go big. And it's okay to also be restrained, mm-hmm. you know, by a competent, educated agent. Right? It's like, no, that's kind of too big. If you've got to go leverage your home with a HELOC to come up with a premium, it may be too big of a premium. Mm-hmm. Maybe. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying. You know, I have those conversations. I said it in the past and I shared it with you many times that, you know, these these big gargantuan premiums, which is not required to become your own banker. Yeah. Okay. It is not required. Um, and, and the policies were funded through HELOCs, you know, and after the second or third year, and you have all those outstanding, well, how am I going to pay a premium and an yeah, outstanding loan? Coming cash flow. Yeah. yeah, I had my share of those. And that's part of the, this is why. Uh, Correcting those. I didn't create them. Right. This is. Or I didn't help create them. This is why we can only get so specific. You know, what's the perfect structure? What's the perfect company? How exactly do I do this? Those questions cannot, should not, will not be answered on a forum like this. It has to be discussed one-on-one. If there are people out there who are giving you those answers, you should be skeptical. There are certain things that can only be addressed one-on-one, right? And talking through the optimal way to go about this, you mentioned not underbuilding, not overbuilding. You should have, ideally, if we could predict the future with certainty, we knew exactly what your income experience, your expense experience was going to be like over the course of your lifetime. If we knew exactly how much premium you would end up wanting the ability to pay over the course of your lifetime, we could put together a, a plan for a number of policies to accommodate that income as it rose over the course of your lifetime. And we'd get it exactly right. You know, but we're not God and we can't predict the future. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. And we can only look so far ahead with a reasonable degree of confidence. Right. And so if we want policies into which we can pay as much premium because we want to build as much capital, we want to build as much cash value as possible. We have to have a conversation about what that income and expense cash flow picture looks like. Right. And that is a that's a very specialized kind of conversation. And. I have never once met a person for whom it did not feel uncomfortable at first, right? Because it's different. It's it's learning to think like a banker. It's talking about the timing and the dependability, the degree of confidence and future cash flows, both incoming and outgoing, and an un- developing an understanding of the degree of control and the time over which you have that control, right? That's a, there is no way to have that discussion in terms of your financial circumstances without first knowing you and without first having the conversation that we need to have to even get to that point, right? Because we've got to understand the differences in, in premium. We've got to understand what's going on in a dividend paying whole life contract and why, right? There's a lot of ground to cover first. Well, listen, I'm not going to read a book. So just, you know, give me a 15 minute phone yeah, call. And you're and... just not a good candidate to be independently financially wealthy. Oh. That's just, I mean, if you're not not willing to rethink it that it goes back to what everything goes back to what nelson taught you know if you're not willing to rethink your thinking okay there are people out there who will indulge take advantage of that yeah and they're happy to and they'll get paid doing it 
So I'm not interested, but for people who are willing to take that perspective, when, you know, IBC is more caught than taught, you hear about the light bulb moments, you know, it, it finally dawned on me, it clicked, all of these ways of expressing how clarity is manifested <laughs> in your mind. When that happens and then you see it applied in your own financial circumstances, yeah, it's just, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's off to the races. That reminds me, and I've said it many times before, but I'm going to, and I'm appreciative to have the opportunity to say it again over and over and over. It's my story. I like sharing it. It, it reminds me, right? <clears throat> um, probably four years into practicing the infinite banking concept, you know, I met Nelson because I was exposed to his book and then I ordered some books and he answered the phone. And I'm very thankful for meeting Nelson Nash, right? <laughs> Um, Me too. I'm thankful you met him too. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to, to spend the amount of time that I was able to spend with him. But I'm four years into practicing the infinite banking concept. I bought big old life insurance premiums as soon as I flew home from the first time of listening to Nelson and restructured all of ours. Never paid that much before in life insurance premium. Yeah. I'm just like, and it is paltry. It's pennies compared to what I paid now. It's unbelievable. And I'm so thankful. And I could have, no way could I have looked 16 years into the future and said, oh, you're going to be paying this much in premium and you would have done this, 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 and this. And angered many bankers and educated several. Um, which I get no joy out of angering bankers. Uh, that's not true. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm, I'm shaving. I mean, no, it's like literally I was outside the uh, uh, hospice facility that my father was mm, in. Mm -hmm. And it happened to be in April and taxes were due. Right? And so I had to, you know, write Uncle Guido uh, a check that could choke a mule. Mm -hmm. right, and it dawned on me after four years of practicing the mm -hmm. infinite banking concept, buying life insurance, right, using the cash values to finance, you know, uh, at that time, you know, no credit cards, automobiles, education, and whatever, right? I mean, I was, I was doing it, mm -hmm. and I still do it to this day. And I have, I could tell stories. <laughs> I'm just saying, it dawned on me. I'm writing this check to Uncle Guido. And it should have been a life insurance premium first. And I, I relate it to it's like a man shaving every day in the mirror and four years later saying, oh, my gosh, that's a nose. You know, you're looking right. It's right there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's just talk about an aha moment or a light bulb. And there's it's not just one light bulb moment. Right. It's not just one leveling up in knowledge or experience. It's continual, which it should be. You know, all of life should be that way. This is no different. You know, it's not like in the financial world, oh, just put your money in here and it's going to go one way and then, you know, accumulate it and then decumulate it over your retirement, blah, 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 blah. It's, 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 it's how convenient for the financial industry to say, hey, you abdicate your responsibility, your thinking, your activity, your due diligence to us and we'll just set it and forget it and you just go live a happy life. I mean, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. talk about top-down thinking. That is completely top-down thinking. This is bottom-up. That's what angers the life insurance companies and all the financial gurus. They didn't come up with this idea to become your own banker. Yeah. Part of it, right? Some old Southern gentleman from Birmingham, Alabama did it. Yeah. It angers them, I think. And I, listen, I know, I've met, I don't know all of them, but the ones I've met, I mean, how, how, can a, how can a life insurance industry exist for in, in the U.S., right, for over 100 years, and this idea of becoming your own banker is all of a sudden shocking or a new revelation to a life insurance agent or a life insurance company? But it is, and it has been. Oh, my gosh. Even when Solomon Huebner was talking about it in the early 1900s. The, the communist the, professor. The, yeah, the idea that... <laughs> You know, you could take a policy loan. First of all, the, the, the idea of a policy loan was like, oh, you should never, you know, this is the last thing you should do. And if it was talked about, it was talked about only in like the, the static singular, singular sense, right? If you have to, you take this one loan this one time. So let's let's go back. Hey, loan, take another one. You know? <laughs> let's, I want to touch on that for a minute because previously, historically, and I don't even want to say previous, that's not the correct use, right? Historically, a loan, an outstanding loan on a life insurance policy, right, is a precursor 
to a lapse or a surrender mm-hmm. of a policy. So the life insurance industry, yes, of course, everybody knows or understands if there is a cash value or an account value, and there's a loan provision in the life insurance contract, that that cash value is subject to loans. Yeah. Everybody knows that, right? <clears throat> Everybody's had an uncle or a brother or whomever that has was a life insurance agent, right? Dave Ramsey. I don't, I don't want to edit his name, whatever. The financial guru, talking head, that says, well, you're going to borrow your own money? They're going to charge you interest to mm-hmm. borrow your own money and all those fallacious uh, statements. Okay. Everybody in the life insurance industry, home offices, historically has looked at outstanding loans as a precursor to a lapse or a surrender. Yeah. The fear is if you got to borrow money to pay a premium, you must be th- threadbare close to not being able to pay a premium <laughs> at all. Exactly. And so they don't like it. All right? Okay. Even though it's perfectly collateralized and if it's priced properly, the lapses should have been taken into account well. Maybe if they gave better agents contracts and didn't give contracts to <laughs> unscrupulous ones. And, and, and let me add to that, to too. Better. You go back further. The first loan provision was expressly put into a life insurance policy so so, so the owner could borrow against the cash value to pay a premium. Right. Premium financing. What? The That's, origin of the idea. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They did it for them. Right, they, the life insurance company, put the loan provision into the contract so the owner could borrow against the cash value to pay a premium. Even in the very early years. It was just like saying, a sales pitch. Like, you can get this much death benefit. This is what the premium would be. Oh, but we'll let you borrow some money to pay the premium up front. Right? And then you just, it's like, then, it's like deferred payments on a new car loan. You know, no payments for 90 days, no payments for a year to start paying your premium next year. And then the industry wonders why it's had such a troubled regulatory history. Oh, because they earned every black eye that they get. But then it's like, it's okay for you to borrow money to pay them. But you don't go borrow money to finance major purchases from them. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so what's new in the financial industry? Right. Not much. And so one thing I wanted to add to that earlier acknowledgement that as people go through the process and they start to see what's going on and why and how it applies to their life, you know, the, the, the horizons broaden, they start to see what can be done and, and <coughs> how much they want to start with increases. And, but then you add something to that that I've started to share with people as well is that over the course of your lifetime, there is a relationship between the level of income that you're earning, let's say on an annual basis, and the proportion of it that should go to premium. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the correct way to frame a lot of this stuff because you've got, in, in becoming your own banker, there's a discussion about uh, premium equaling income and people are grappling with the idea of, you know, do that, can I do that now? Is that even possible now? Do I do it eventually? And, you know, it's again, we're, we're kind of in a frameless territory where we don't really know the context. And so I think this dynamic, it, it, like, explicating and articulating this specific dynamic is helpful. It's like, look, you're start you're going to start wherever you start. Your financial circumstances are what they are, right? You 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 have a certain amount of income, you have a certain amount of financial value, capital built up in other assets. You're going to want to use a certain per- percentage of that income to pay premium, and maybe you want to use a certain percentage of value accumulated in other assets to pay premium as well. Right? Whatever that looks like, it is what it is, and when we have a discussion <coughs> about what's going on in the contract, you'll know exactly how much it is of those two sources, your ongoing cash flow and the value you can get to today. You'll understand how much of that you want to use to pay a premium. And we'll talk about the way to talk to the accountant to get it done on a tax efficient basis. And and then time's gonna go on, right? You're gonna get older, you're gonna continue to earn, you're gonna continue to do what you do, right? And unless you die, unless you graduate, right? right. And but, then your people are left with an income tax free death benefit. Yep. But as in general, for the most people, on average, the income's gonna rise, right? Your ability to pay premium is gonna rise. And as your income rises, a larger and larger percentage of that income should be going to premium. Honest banking. And eventually, that percentage of your income going to premium in a given year will exceed 
100% of your income. What? It's going to happen at some point in time. What? Yeah. You know? Either the income is going to begin to decrease on an annual basis or the dividends in policies that you own where the where the dividend as it should is going back into the contract in the form of PUA premium, those dividends are going to get so big that they'll eventually exceed what will be a declining annual income. Now, theoretically, could you outlive that trajectory? Could you do so well in terms of income generation, even in your later years, that even then these policies that you've owned for 20, 30, 40, 50 years don't pay dividends that are high enough to meet your income? Could that happen? Sure. And that's a good problem to have. Yeah, but, but for still, most people, yeah. that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, no, you're exactly right, too. And, and then, look, if I have a premium... You know, that's an illustrated premium or an actual premium that's being paid. Those dividends eventually are going to dwarf the premium. Yeah. Right. Just by just by default on a properly structured policy, right, and properly used policy. I know, you know, Nelson would never, and I've been corrected by David, his son-in-law, David Stearns. He runs the uh, IBC NNI board member. You know, I've referenced, <coughs> excuse me, Nelson's 10-hour seminar. Many yeah. times, right? And there's available a 20% discount code if you want to contact our office to purchase the three DVD set series of uh, Nelson's seminar. And, and so the correction is I've been saying nine hour, eight hour, 10 hour seminar. And I was informed and corrected by David that it's six and a half hours. Right. All right. And, and he's like, well, just say it's a three DVD set. Okay, so I've said it. It's a six and a half hour series, and it's a three DVD set. But my question to him was, David, and we're friends, we speak regularly, what'd you do with all the other time? I mean, why'd you shorten it? All right, because we've hosted Nelson in North Texas and around Texas, um, you know, for many years, several, I mean, one to three times a year. So I heard the man deliver his 10-hour seminar many times. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, David, what'd you take out? And he took out all the incidental antidotes and a lot of quote-unquote rabbit chasing, going down different holes. I mean, Nelson used lots of analogies and yeah, lots totes. of experience. And, yeah. Yeah, and, it, and then when he traveled, he'd always have a, 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 a slideshow of the places that, mm -hmm. you know, him and Mary had traveled to and... So the live event was much more than just six and a half hours of Nelson going through this book. Um, however, I'm saying that uh, he used his 1959 State Farm policy in his presentation, his ex lots of different examples, um, and he used the dividend to reduce the premium in the first 15 years of that policy. Right, so... There's lots of dividend elections that the owner has a right to choose between, the best one being the dividends paid to the PUA. Um, but even the 1959 policy that was, the dividend was used to offset the premium. Yeah, that, go back into the contract. Those dividends dwarfed his premium unbelievably. Mm -hmm. And if he had no offset the premium with the dividend, it would have been, you know, two and a half fold. All right. Well, thanks for letting me share that. Um, well, it, the it relates six and a half. It relates hour DVD, DVD it, series. It relates a lot to what I, to the next point I wanted to make. <clears> so we, we talked about how there's a development thinking pre-application, right, for a new policy. Right, we're starting to learn more, starting to see what's going on, how it applies to you, the, the percentage of your. Uh, ca uh, the percentage of your available financial resources, including your income that you want to devote to premium is going to rise right then, right? And then you add this, uh, the, the dynamic element where over the course of your lifetime, as income goes up, uh, the percentage of that income that's devoted to premium should rise. And one of the nice benefits will be that as you diligently practice the infinite banking concept over time, exactly how you said, the dividends are going to dwarf the premium that you pay into those contracts, as Nelson showed. And by the way, those checks are reproduced in Building Your Warehouse of Wealth, second book. So for the people who ask for examples, there it is, right? And you're referencing, he's referencing the premium that Nelson paid over the life of that policy. You know, and I guess it was, I don't know how many years ago it was. I know he did it for four years. But what he did, um, there came a point in time where the company sent him a letter wanting to confirm his social security number, right? 
because uh, the uh, he was about to reach his cost basis. Yeah, he surpassed his cost basis, mm-hmm. right? And so he said, "Oh no, 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 no! Uh, you send me a check, right? So let me get, let me get it right. So they they he told the company." <clears throat> for the purpose of <clears throat> excuse me for the purpose of reproducing those checks he wanted to be able to to reproduce those checks and make his point in his presentation that the dividends were as big as they really as he was saying they were right and the in the policy's doing what it's doing just by design just by its mere existence so um he told the company to send me a check right so send me the dividend check so he took a check dividend check for four years and then the company sent him a letter saying hey we want to correct we want to confirm that we have your correct social security number because he received all of his basis in those four years right and then he told them no thank you you're not sending me a taxable check you have the dividend get paid back to the pua he, he, he changed his dividend, dividend election. election right and he said i have no money in that policy Right. He I had received back everything he had paid in. Everything that he had paid in. I mean, think about that. Yeah. And then there's, anyway. This goes exactly to where I was headed with yeah. this. Okay. At some point, just like Nelson did, you reach a break-even year, right? You reach a cash-on-cash cash year. At some you point in the year, future. At some point, for everybody who's practicing infinite banking with the correctly designed policy that's well, been well-funded, you're going to reach a point where the net cash value exceeds your cost basis, exceeds the your cumulative premium, how much premium you've paid in since day one, okay? That's gonna happen. The cash value as a percentage of your cost basis or as a percentage of your cumulative premium <clears throat> will reach 100 at some point. And after that point, it's an inflection point. After that year, after that break-even year, that cash ca- cash on cash year, your the cash value as a percentage of your total premium since day one will be greater than 100. And so I like how you put it. Do you want, and I put it to this, uh, to George, who I had mentioned in a, uh, previously uh, uh, on a recent episode, that um, do you want that cash value as a percentage of uh, your your cost basis? Do you want that percentage to be 100% of a small number or 100% of a big number? He's like, oh, a, a big number. Yeah, that's a fair way to interpret that. So. Yeah. But okay, so but does why? that make sense? That's like, yeah. How but big do you want that to number yeah, to be? Well, listen, I want the cash value to be extremely big. So can't we make that happen in six months? You know, can't we make that inflection point happen tomorrow? Look, if I go not put without sacrificing certain elements, right? Once uh, we're set several on the, very important. Once elements. we're set on the philosophy, once we have the appropriate long-term perspective, mm-hmm. once the policy is built correctly to be robust to future financial fluctuations, should you need to reduce your premium? Once it's built to allow you to pay a premium for as long as what we have available in, in the industry that would allow you to do that. Once that's decided, once that's determined, and we're now discussing the appropriate level of premium, it's, okay, how, you know, do we want that cash value as a percentage of cumulative premium to be big or small? Yeah, and let me, let me I'm going to add to that because, you know, we've, we, you know, we, we talk very often and, you know, we've had discussions previously several times where it's almost like we feel like we have to talk in code sometimes. Um, not intentionally, but we don't want to mention names. We don't yeah. want to mention individual names other right. than George. Yeah, I don't want to mention life insurance companies. I don't want to promote life insurance companies. And I don't want to call anyone out in particular or, or individually or by name and what have you. Um, but listen, the cash value of life insurance, of a whole life insurance policy, is going to equal the face amount at maturity, which is 121 years today. The actuarial, theoretical life expectancy of an individual insured is 120 years. So all life insurance is built upon that basis, 120-year theoretical life expectancy. The cash value will equal the face amount at age 120, period, period. And my question is, do you want a large death benefit? Do you want a large face amount at age 120 or a small face amount at age 120? It's a straight yes, no, big, small answer. Of course we want it large. Now, am I going to sacrifice all of the cash value between now and then? No. 
Right? No, I'm not. Okay. <clears throat> so, I want to continue. That cash value is not guaranteed to grow at 4% annually to meet the future death benefit at age 120. Yeah. I'm just saying, I want to bring some clarity. The cash value is going to increase no matter what you do. As long as you pay a premium, you're with a legitimate mutual life insurance company that pays a dividend, all right? And the policy, no matter how it's structured, if you have zero cash value for the first 18 years, that cash value is going to equal the death benefit at age 120 mm-hmm. by design. Okay. <clears throat> and I just want to wrap it up here on this point that the cash value is going to accumulate and grow every year. At what year does it cross over total premium equal total cash values at some point in the future? And we want that to happen as soon as possible without jeopardizing the integrity of the policy. It does no good for me to make sure that I go cash on cash in a particular short-sighted year if I'm going to sacrifice that policy in the 25th or the 30th year. Mm. I mean, why would I want to pay substantial premium in a tax-deferred vehicle that is accessible tax-free and then pay a honking tax liability or experience a, a honking tax liability 30 years from now? I mean, it makes no sense. Yeah. Okay. So my point is, uh, you know, do your research, keep reading, read Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, read a second book, Building Your Warehouse of Well, you know, watch the Banking with Life DVD, and I understand it's 2020, your children have game boxes. You can still stick a piece of plastic game in there and boxes. watch that. Whatever. What is a game box? I don't know. It's like, <laughs> ain't there a new one coming out? That <laughs> That's hilarious, a game box. What do you uh, call them? Uh, well, there's the next Don't act like you're not a gamer. PlayStation. Oh, okay. Did anybody misunderstand what I've said when I missed? <laughs> game it reminds me of the GameCube. Game Some people might remember that. It's a, a console called the GameCube. Yeah, okay. That's hilarious. And then, wait, wait. I'm not finished uh, self-promoting. But I'm promoting the Nelson Nash Institute. That's where you get the DVD. That's where you get his books. Um, his six-and-a-half-hour live seminar is the DVD that I'm speaking of. The Banking with Live DVD is a separate. So there's Nelson's six and a half hour seminar. Then the Banking with Live DVD that's about 52 minutes. But then on this channel, watch the the uh, book review that Ryan and I did on Becoming Your Own Banker. The book. That review. It's on audio. It's not meant to replace a book, but listen to that. And, and I'm saying that to say this because I see over and over and over... I get stalked, you get stalked. If you search Infinite Banking Concept on YouTube or Google, you get stalked. Even on Facebook with all of these, you know, programs for $3.95, $2.95, $4.95, $99.99, $99.95, whatever, to go through somebody's um, program, boot camp, whatever they call it. And I'm just saying, if you want a proper education, go to the source. Go to the Nelson Nash Institute. And you can do it affordably. That's my whole point. Yeah. Okay. I, I would just add that that's where you start. It might not be where you stay, but um, and but I'll, I'll add this too that the so often when we're trying to understand, we look for a we look for a frame, we look for a point of reference, and we hear death benefit. So often it's presented online that it's in life insurance that's about death benefit or cash value, and that's why we come back to this. That's why I wanted to present that trajectory of, you know, based on my experience with this particular client, George, this past weekend about how the the understanding developed. And as the understanding developed, as we adopted the correct frame, and by that, I mean, it's not an either or, it's not a cash value or death benefit. In fact, the only reason you have cash value is because there's a death benefit. When you generate early cash value with PUA premium payments in the early years or at any point in time throughout the course of the contract, the only reason those PUA premiums are generating cash value is because it's buying more death benefit, right? The cash value is the net present value of the death benefit. And I know those are like mathematical or actuarial words, but if we can wrap our arms around that, everything else becomes clear. If, if I can 
directly through my own action increase the magnet if i had the contractual right to increase the magnitude of that future cash flow by in other words adding more death benefit then i also therefore have the contractual right to increase the net present value of that future death benefit and if i can do that then i'm increasing my equity i'm increasing the if capital you do one you're doing the other you're doing both you yeah. know it's not like i'm going to increase the death benefit and not increase cash. you're doing right. both yeah you can't it's it's impossible to to get one without the other right and so and that's so vital and that, that's why i like the way that you put it it's like the cash value because the cash value is the net present value of the death benefit therefore when that death benefit pays when that when the when the net present value obtains when it, the, it when it equals the future value right when we get to that point where that death benefits paid in the case of life insurance at age the end of age 120 the start of age 121 that you, do you want that number to be big or small it's like that that's it it's yeah, that simple my i'm not gonna need any capital if i live to age 120 my children my grandchildren my great-grandchildren they're not gonna need any capital uncle guido will have weaned himself from his need of my capital so right. there won't be any taxes and it's like You've no, just got just, a misunderstanding of economics. You know, you're not, if that's the, you know, oh, I'm not going to need that money in the future. First of all, you should be nicer to yourself. Okay. It's okay to have access to more capital in your later years. Right. And, you know, the, there's also been the idea out there that I'm, you know, I'm spending everything I have. I'm not leaving my kids anything. You know, we need to take that idea, put it on the shelf and then leave the room and lock the door, okay? That's, that, <laughs> there's nothing helpful about that. Where you know, are they going? It's not either or. You know where it comes from is like, if, well, if no, I it, don't. They only, they're only going to get it if I don't spend it. And that, again, very static, uh, capital liquidation style thinking. If we're thinking like a banker and we're thinking in terms of accumulating capital, the only way in life insurance to accumulate capital is to increase how much your kids or your people get. Right. The only way to increase how much cash value you have available to you to use for what you want is if you increase the magnitude of that future cash flow. If you increase the death benefit, you can't help but benefit other people right, by pursuing your own interests. Oh, my gosh. Which that's is the foundation of economics. Boom. So if you adopt that, it's like what the question becomes and we go, go through this with people. We start talking about. You know, having a conversation about how to think about avail available financial resources in order to determine the correct level of premium. And sometimes, not with everybody, but and whether it's in the first policy purchase or whether it's the next one, eventually it's not how much premium do I want to pay, it's how much premium will the company allow it me to pay. It always gets to that. Nelson said it too. When you solve for your need for finance, you will be asking for so much death benefit that you cannot get it past the underwriters. And let me tell you, that's a, a I like to think we make it look easy. Right? It's like the duck swimming across the lake. All Everything's calm, cool, and collected above water. Underneath, they're paddling like hell. I mean, that's a daily struggle is getting what we want past the underwriter because and I see it in the industry, you know, there's all kinds of shenanigans that go on. There's, we, don't, we, don't, we don't operate in that world. We're all very straightforward. You know, these are legitimate um, structured policies. We're not withholding things from the underwriter because they're bad guys and they don't want to issue Everything policies. Yeah. So when it's clear and you're straightforward, um, whenever you really get to the point where you can solve for your need for finance, the underwriter, you cannot get it past the underwriter, it requires so much death benefit that they can't legally issue it. Yeah. Anyway. You have to, life insurance, I've said it's it before. A, it, the struggle is real is my point, okay? The struggle is real. We make it look easy, and we have great relationships with underwriters. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm going through that right now with a couple of clients. But the, the and, life insurance is the only asset where your ability to pay does not determine how much you can buy, right? They limit it according to your human life value, which is a problem, but it is what it is. And so we got to deal with that. Um, and here's a, here's a, another tweak on this for the, the agents and advisors who are contorting the structure of policies, what they're doing is they're, you know, let's put it this way. When you think long range and you get a contract built the kind of way that we would build them for people, 
an individual's accumulation of death benefit will happen in a, in a proper fashion over the course in, of their lifetime. An appropriate At an appropriate time, time right? What happens with people that, in order to get the 1090 or the 9010 or however, when you, however you want to call it. 8515. Listen. You've got, it, to, it, you've it, got to buy more and more death benefit earlier. And as, as you've put it, you eat up the insurability. That's only one issue. So you're going to cause that lack of ability to get past the underwriter sooner. Whenever you contort the policies, and I choose my words carefully when I use the terminology, jeopardize the integrity, properly structured, Frankenstein policies. Those are not incidental, accidental. That is on purpose. Whenever you have the short-sightedness to contort a policy, Mm -hmm. right, to make these illegitimate liquidity happen sooner, right, you're sacrificing. That's just one thing in the unknown future that you're sacrificing Mm -hmm. is your insurability. Limiting. Uh, Oh, my gosh. Limiting your ability to pay a premium in the future. And so whenever we're solving for our need for banking and finance, it we're going to get to that point naturally that we have used up all of our insurability. You're just accelerating that when you contort these policies. Mm. And then let me say too, in addition, look, there is a proper way to expand your banking system, quote unquote, right? There is a proper way to do that. So what you use up all your insurability? Perfect. Who's next? (laughs) Right. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that lightly, right? If there's not insurable interest, you're not getting a policy anywhere. I mean, there's a proper way to expand your system, right? I don't care who you are. And it's not looking for your first business partner available. Not that you can't do that, okay? Um, I mean, I don't want to belabor the the points there no that's because, we haven't we no, i don't think we've talked about that before though because it's a fairly sophisticated well, consequence I, I have purposely not talked about all of the things that that destroys right because uh several reasons why i haven't spoken to them directly to the big wide world my clients i go through every one of them with our clients because they're exposed to the noise and it we're all exposed to the noise in the infinite banking footprint. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's okay to say it here. Like that, that is, that's one of the things that will happen. If it is the case that you want to diligently practice the concept over the course of your lifetime, which is, I'm assuming, right, that if, if that is what you want to do, in addition to inhibiting, put it this way, by advancing the accumulation of death benefit earlier in your lifetime, you're reducing your ability to pay a premium in the future. Those contracts you get right away, the 1090, 2080 kind of things, you're not gonna be able to pay a substantial, the, the same substantial degree of PUA premium into them in the early years as you will in the later years. I'm sorry, reverse that. You're not gonna be able to pay that high degree of premium in the later years as you are in the early years. Right? So the, the contracts you're able to get will themselves accept less premium. But the death benefit's already been purchased. By construct. Right. And, and so when you, as you get older and as you realize the contracts you have will no longer accept the kind of premium you want to pay, and so you want to replace the premium that you formerly were able to pay, and time has gone on, and your income's gone on, but you're older, and, and therefore the multiple that you can apply to determine your human life value has gone down, you will discover and this is what's going to happen because of the timing of all this. Listen, right? it, the release happens, of the, it happens quickly with these contorted policies but, and to young people. Yep. Yeah. Because the income doesn't rise fast enough or they get older and they drop into the next, the next lower age bracket, you're just not going to be able to pay the kind of premium that you wanted to pay. And it's okay. I, I don't need to pay a premium later anyway. This idea that premium offset or pay for no more, you know, pay yeah. for five years. And I, only, then, I only want to be a capitalist for five years. And then, you know. So, yeah, sorry for the interruption there. Had a little technical issue. <laughs> um, not enough electrolyte. Um, but you were you were you were you were talking about how the you the ability to pay a high premium PUA premium in the latter years is not there, mm-hmm. right? And the death benefit has already been purchased. And yeah, I want to say that the death benefit will go down. 
right? So even the idea, you have to use a, you dang near have to use a blended PUA to get to that construct and that whole idea mm-hmm. of a blended PUA, you know, and, and why wouldn't the insurance companies create that, right? Of course, because it's on the idea of decreasing term, you know, that idea if you have an increasing cash value and an increasing permanent death benefit, then you can use a decreasing term. Oh my gosh, how old is that idea? And the blended PUA is just the latest version of that, yeah. right? So at time of natural mortality, you'll have less death benefit. Mm. Well, who does that benefit? The company that issued it. So buy all of that you want and buy it from a company that I own as well because I'm, you know, we're using mutual companies be a very profitable and, and I'm the owner, you know, part owner of that mutual company and you're increasing the profitability of that company, which is going to accrue to me in the form of dividends. Thank you. Okay. And, and then too, let me say, you know, of course we want to be a capital, a capitalist our whole lifetime. Um, but I want to say this, a legitimate question, because I'm exposed to the noise too, can't get away from it quick enough, can't get it off of you. It tracks me like it tracks you and, you know, I avoid it like, you know, political news or any news. Yeah. Um, if 90-10 is good, if 85-15 is good, if 80-20 is good or whatever variation, if that percentage a premium to the PUA should be the highest. Um, why wouldn't you buy ninety-seven percent PUA and a three percent base premium policy? Why wouldn't you do that? Oh, and it can be done. So these promoters of ninety ten are just not. You know, they're being less than honest and say, "Oh, you can't do this. Or you can't do that." No, you can. With some companies, do that. So. 90's good 97 must be better mm-hmm. right yeah yeah as, as you start to go into all of the consequences and trade-offs and uh, my experience has been as we start to and people might have some of these questions in the initial we were all triggered up there until that technical difficulty <laughs> that's okay <laughs> when i when i start when we when people have some of these questions and Oftentimes they've watched so much of this of this podcast they don't have the questions anymore they've been answered but yeah sure but if they have them when we're going through eventually they get so sick of it it's like okay yeah forget about it you know we'll sure. just and and I mean you know it, everybody has their process but in my opinion the sooner the better <laughs> um, what, get sick of it the sooner the better yeah it's like I mean yeah I'm like oh my gosh it's like everybody knows that that uh, it's okay to quit cold turkey. Speaking of Thanksgiving, no pun intended. Right? <laughs> uh, That's and, the best way to do it, right? And, and, the, and the, you know, it, it all goes back to what Nelson taught. And if you want to do what Nelson taught, then you should you know, adopt his philosophy. And it, it's, it's, it's not short-sighted. We're thinking long range. We're not afraid to capitalize. B- being not afraid to capitalize means comfortable with illiquidity. That's what that means. Right? If, to, to properly capitalize, to acquire a contract where we can capitalize maximally over the course of our lifetime, there's going to be illiquidity up front. Up front. And that's, that's it. And that's part of it. In the latter years, there is no illiquidity. Right. And not that far into the future. When I say latter, I'm not talking about when you're 90 years of age or 70 or 80 or, you know, 20 years down the road. And this now is the correct time to accommodate that early illiquidity. Which is right? now, now as in always, now, right now. Right now. now. So that later on, over the course of your lifetime, as we discussed earlier, the as the cash value approaches the eventual death benefit at 121, after you cross that break-even year, whenever it happens to happen in your circumstances, <clears throat> uh, you can enjoy the excess, the 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 uh, surplus, the the greater and greater cash value over and above what you've paid in, which is and just the natural result of life insurance. That's just what. It's just by design. Don't care what the Fed's doing. Don't care what the market's doing. You know, there was a lot of price inflation from when Nelson was paying that his policy or his premium into that state farm policy in the 50s and 60s right and up until in the 90s and the 2000s when he was talking about it what? right now do you think that because there was all that price inflation he was upset about the fact that there was a multiple of his premium and annual cash value appreciation in it? well no wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> he paid a fixed premium right 
And the purchasing power of his premium dollar was declining. Right. Right. And I forget what his premium was. Depreciating currency. 300 $300 a year, mm-hmm. something like that. And I know, I'm furious. I've read the book and I have the book. Um, and even have the illustrations of his 1959 policy. So, okay. Um, the same thing is happening to us as we speak, right? The value of the dollar is declining just by its mere existence. Mm-hmm. So he was paying with depreciating dollars, right? And his cash value was appreciating at an accelerated rate comparatively. Unbelievable. I mean, it's like an exponential curve up and an exponential curve down. And he didn't have to do a dang thing but pay the premium. And let me say, these policies are designed to pay a premium. So the idea that you have to get everything out as soon as possible because that's a bad place to put money. And number one, think long range. Number two, don't be afraid to capitalize. Don't be afraid afraid to pay a premium, right? Okay, um, if you have to get everything out as soon as possible, you're not thinking long range and you are afraid to pay a premium. And just because Nelson and Equipment Finance illustrated four years worth of premium payments and then, you know, that that creates this whole thought process from the financial world, these um, wannabe practitioners, like, oh, well, we should start another policy in year five. And we should do it again in year nine. And we should do it again in year 15. It's like, no, 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 no. You want to pay a premium as long as possible. These policies are designed to pay a premium. Now, does that mean that, you know, I've got to look at 40 years of premium payments in the future? You know, you're telling me to get my thinking up, Mr. Griggs, and start today, right, as soon as possible. Yeah, you should should work with a competent agent and use legitimate numbers. If we're talking about your money and it's good, do you want to think small? Or do you want to think big? You know, do you want to be positive? In a negative world? Yes, you can, and it's okay to do that. Um, So I want to think big. I want to come up with a premium so large, it it makes sweat beads break out on my forehead. (laughs) I want my wife to question my intelligence. (laughs) You know, not that it only takes a large premium. Uh, Let me tell you what, and and we've done an episode, my wife and I, my lovely wife, Jen, and I did a Valentine's Day episode, I think, last year. And, um, and And I discussed it. We discussed it. It was true about the fourth or fifth policy we were buying, she legitimately and seriously said, asked, where are we going to get that premium? Where are we going to get the money to pay that premium? And I legitimately said, I don't know. And I didn't. And I thought she was going to throw punch me. She was angry. <laughs> you know. So I'm just saying, don't be afraid to capitalize. Don't be afraid to pay a big premium. But okay, now once you are working with somebody that's intelligent, competent, educated, and has your best interest. I'm not saying they're not going to make a commission or earn an income. Um, And you want them to, because 10 years from now, when you call their office, you want somebody to answer the phone, right? Well, you know, it costs money to be in business. Yeah. You know, profits are good if we're all... So I digress a little. My point is, don't be afraid to pay a premium. Don't be afraid to pay a big premium. And, you know, to the point where... I don't want your wife to throat punch you. I don't. Okay? So you can back off of it and start too small. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. And and add on, right? And and increase. So pay a premium. Amen. It's always a good day to pay a premium. Right? All right, so listen, this is what else are you thankful for on this thankful day after Thanksgiving? Thankful for my little Great Dane puppy. Lucy. Thankful for you. Oh, thankful thank for you. Nelson. Oh, yeah. yeah. For the business, for the clients, for the listeners, yeah. the viewers. Uh, thankful for a majority of the people who comment. <laughs> um, We're, I'm thankful for the, in the last episode, uh, the Halloween, the spooky comment episode. You know, we... It didn't mean to. It's just the way it happened. Um, printed out some comments from a mainly one individual. It was fun. You know, I mean, we didn't. You know, if people want to go on a tear, you know, first of all, they're not going to be released. And second of all, it just gives us something to talk about. Like, <laughs> right. But know? don't be afraid to comment. <laughs> well, then the people, you, you see the ones that are released. I mean, it's it's a 
nice positive environment down there <clears throat> as it should be right. so yeah well perfect well i'm i'm thankful as well i'm thankful for you know uh the freedom that we do have what's left of it in the united states you know i'm thankful for the opportunity to practice what is you know a close resemblance to capitalism you know it's like we do not have free markets um but we have the next best thing or the closest thing to that. And mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm very thankful for that. I'm very thankful for meeting Nelson. I mean, it changed my life personally. He did. He did. And his work, it changed uh, a lot of our clients' lives. And then their future prodigy, even our future prodigy, I mean, it's like I'm so thankful. Um, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to to have the ability to convey or promote the idea of becoming your own banker. Um, not that I live in fear, but I am concerned um, that, you know, just as um, healthcare has been nationalized and taken over by Uncle Guido, the entity, the state that does not have the ability to restrain itself, okay, it will eventually take over the quote unquote financial industry as well and they'll nationalize the financial industry look around the world some of the great mutual companies of of old in the uk and england don't exist anymore they've been demutualized um and i say that they you know were forced to okay and i think that that is potentially going to happen here that you know uncle guido like i said is going to nationalize the financial institute but until that happens Right until that happens, um, you have the opportunity to become your own banker, and I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for the for the ability to engage with people that um, want something better, right? That want to embrace and empower themselves and their families, and want to disconnect from the 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 lies that we're all surrounded in from yeah. the financial world. So. I can go on and on. I'm very thankful. I'm a humble, thankful person. And I appreciate you, and I thank you for listening. See y'all. All right, have a great day. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content. 